0: Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. It is well with my soul. 1871, Horatio G. Spafford wrote that hymn of the church that so many of us love so much. It is well with my soul. And he wrote it following the catastrophic death of his four daughters who were lost at sea. And he said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And we love to sing that and we love to say that and we love to think that, don't we? But what if it's not? But what if it's not so well With your soul, because there are times when that's hard to sing, isn't it? Church, can we talk? There are times when it's challenging to sing. It is well with my soul, because it's not so well. As we move through these very challenging times, and I, I endeavor to telepastor the church, if you will. I get two broad reports in the many calls that I make and just talk to people and see how they're doing. One is, it's well with my soul, I'm doing fine. And the other report I get is, it's not good, Tom. This is tough. I'm in trouble. And I so appreciate people being honest with me and they don't have to kind of put on the face when the pastor calls my question for you this morning is what do depression anxiety substance abuse suicide and marital stress all have in common well that they're all substantially higher in our society today than they were at this time last year i've been waiting for the right time to bring this message it's been on my heart for a few months as we've gone through this and i've just endeavored to be a brother and a pastor to so many people who are struggling because, come on, the strain is very real, isn't it? The strain is very real. And in the midst of it, we're reading our Bibles and we get into First Peter and it says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. And we find comfort in that and we try, right? Catch, Lord, catch, I'm casting all my... But we're still in the strain. And we read our Bibles and we get to Philippians where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we believe it, don't we? And we go, I'm anxious about this, Lord, and then we return to the strain I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 41. If you have a Bible, turn there. If not, I'll be reading it for you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Just see me or see Christian afterwards, see anybody who looks like they know something, and uh, we'll see that you get a Bible for you to own for yourself. Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 13 as we endeavor to deal with the strain that so many of us are under. Now, while you're turning there, Isaiah 41, the book of Isaiah, you know, it just contains many vast treasures, both for Israel and for the church. It was written roughly 700 years before the birth of Christ. And, and in, that, in that book, we read such abiding truths as the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For unto us is born this day a savior, right? And he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's abiding. Bless you. And, and we read, and we read in the book of Isaiah, I love this one. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That sounds like a good trade. And we read in the book of Isaiah: they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. And those things are precious to us. They're treasures to us, aren't they? They certainly are. Many, many others. Well, the book of Isaiah was written to the people of Israel largely during a time of extreme national crisis. And it covers a very broad time span, including prophecies about the coming of a nation that would conquer them, their period of captivity and enslavement to those conquerors, and even some references to the period after they were allowed to return to Jerusalem some 70 years later. Now, why should any of this matter to us today? Why is knowing about anything about the Neo-Babylonian Empire of any importance to us today? Well, it's, it's useful because as we read and interpret the Bible... We're looking for abiding truths, aren't we? We're looking for truths that can be lifted out appropriately out of their context and appropriately and honestly set into our context. That's what we're doing. And uh, some of the truths of the Bible are abiding all by themselves, right? Has anybody got the John three sixteen? "'For God so loved the world "'that he gave his one and only Son "'that whoever believes in him will not perish "'but have everlasting life.'" That is an abiding truth that just drops into every and any context. Romans 5, 8, For God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can just pick that right off the page, and you can drop it on your refrigerator, can't you? There are many passages and verses that do that. Others, like the one we're looking at today, deserve to be considered in their own context to see if we can honestly make the transfer. Otherwise, we run the risk of taking Scripture out of context and run the risk of trying to make the Bible say whatever we wanted to say, depending on our presuppositions and prejudices, right? If you've ever had the painful misfortune of having someone quote you out of context, anyone? That's what I said, but that's not what I meant. Well... I should think that the Lord God should feel much the same way when it comes to his word, the Bible. So that's why we take the time to do those things. And, and when you look at what happened 2,700 years ago, where, our, where it intersects with our life is that, first of all, we too want to follow God, yes? That's why we're here. And we too are living in a time of national crisis, true? True? and there of course are several dimensions to the crisis that we presently face and you know them all too well and i will not remind you of them just to give you at least a brief rest from hearing about them over and over and over again all day but the the part of our the part of our present crisis that has my attention for today's message is the emotional toll that is being taken on what i say what I think would be most people in our country. And we're so, come on, we're tired, aren't we? We're tired. We're tired of the constantly shifting standards about how we have to live our life this week, right? That's getting weary. We're all affected by isolation and the polarization I'm I'm becoming a risky person. I almost cannot come to church anymore because if I don't get my hands back on you guys soon, if I don't get to hug you as my brother and my sister soon, I miss that so much. The people of Isaiah's day faced a similar problem as they lived in almost constant uncertainty about what was going to happen to them next. They believed all the same time in a giant God, yet their situation was progressing from bad to worse. And they did this for nearly a hundred (laughs) years, just waiting for God to come and set them free from their oppression, which ultimately he did. And we must know that they, too, were tired, yes? We must know that they, too, were disappointed and frustrated, yes? We must know, too, that they kept trying to console themselves with slogans like faith over fear as the encroaching enemies from an eastern empire chipped away at their nation and ultimately conquered them altogether. They must have been saying that, hang on, hang on, faith over fear. You know, even, even some of the prophets themselves they came to the point where in desperation they cried out to God, how long do I have to keep doing this? Which brings us squarely to our passage now in Isaiah 41. Because it is a passage of hope and comfort to a people who so desperately needed it. And it's one of several I could have chosen in the book of Isaiah, but I felt particularly drawn to this one let's look at isaiah chapter 41 beginning in verse 8 now remember the context remember everything i just set up but you O israel my servant jacob whom i have chosen oh that's a fresh reminder right your descendants of abraham my friend imagine how that must have made them feel we're still in with god I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. See, Abraham was called from the land of Ur to the promised land, wasn't he? To the land of the the Chaldeans. And I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. And I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. Can we all take a breath? Right? Can we please all take a breath? God has not rejected us. So do not fear, for I am with you. He's still here. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Could there be a better word to describe some of our states of mind right now than dismayed? It's a strong word. You you know, dismayed, I I just, I don't know, I just feel kind of disillusioned, I feel like, when is this going to be over, I feel like, I just feel off. Anybody, or is it just me? Raise your hand if it's you, just out of curiosity, I want to know who I'm preaching to here. But he said, don't be dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you, and help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hey, take that in. Come on. I will, I'll pick you up with my righteous right hand. The, the right hand of God is promising Dick and Dora to pick you up. In the name of Jesus, pick you up. Pick you up. Lift you up. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as he, because he's going to pick you up. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish, because when you mess with the people of God, you're messing with God. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Can we focus now on that verse? I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you, that there's light in the midst of the darkness, there's peace in the midst of the storm, God is still here wanting to hold on to us. What a great and abiding promise. And this is one of those promises that you can pick up and carry over and drop into an appropriate context. We are the people of God in a time of national crisis. And I believe with all of my heart that God is saying to you, I am the Lord, your God who has your right hand. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to take care of you because you belong to me. You are my people. And this can lift you from a place of despair discouragement because we are in a struggle. Could I have some of those Raisinets? They sound really good or whatever they are. On a more practical level, let's talk about the struggle that some of you, I'm sure many of you are feeling I know I am. the internal struggle. It might look like stress, it might look like anxiety, it might look like fear, it might look like depression. It, you know, can we just talk about that for a minute? Let's talk about that. Could I share with you what I consider to be three common deceptions about those kinds of realities in the life of a Christian? The first one is, we hear this sometimes, if you were a stronger Christian, then you would never struggle with depression, anxiety, fear, stress. We kind of hear that, don't we? Come on, if you loved God, you wouldn't struggle with these things, right? And you go like inside, you're like, I think I love God, I, I think I'm in but this message comes to us in various ways, either, you know, explicitly or implicitly. Well, you know, you just need to strengthen your faith, dude, right? If you were a stronger Christian, then you wouldn't struggle with these kinds of things. I don't know what Bible those people read. Did you ever get to that place in Elijah where he just gives up and he goes into the cave And he just goes, I just cannot do this anymore. Did you ever read the Psalms where David says, God, why have you rejected us? Why have you burst forth upon us? Why are you downcast, O my soul? The very words of David. Did anybody read the New Testament where Paul says, I'm torn, who will deliver me from this body of death? Has anybody ever read any church history where you see that these People that we look back in the rearview mirror as giants of the faith often struggled with great emotional turmoil. My best friend, A. Stephen in India, he and I would talk on the phone fairly often and he would our time frame was different. So I'd call him in the morning, he's calling him. You know, he'd always call me when it was night for, or night, morning for him and I'd be just going to bed, it drove me crazy. But I'd say, hey, Stephen, how are you doing? And I'll just never forget how many times he would say, oh, brother, I'm tired. And then he would say this it's like mental torture. That phrase, it's mental torture. Now, this is a man who led countless thousands of fellow Indians to Christ, who established more than 200 churches, who built a hospital, who drilled freshwater wells, who who built a mobile medical unit, and he said, it's like mental torture. This is a deception where it says, if you were stronger, then you wouldn't be struggling this way. I think the second great deception that I'd like to point out this morning is that it's better to keep quiet about things that are bothering you so that people will not think less of you. You know, just keep it to yourself because if you really tell people how you're feeling, then people are going to think you're not that strong. I've tried to be authentic over the years with what's going on on the inside of me without making it like the point of the church at all. And I suppose there have been times where you go, I don't don't want to hear that. Tom, I need need you to be the guy that's got it together. Well, I'm not, okay? (laughs) I'm just like you. You hear, don't claim it and it'll go away. They call that denial. (laughs) Denial. better just to keep quiet about things so that people won't think less of you. Here's a third deception. God helps those who help themselves. Don't raise your hand but how many of you think that's in the Bible? Don't raise your hand because it's not. Benjamin Franklin is attributed to coming up with that phrase. God helps those who help themselves and when we apply that to ourselves, what it leads to in these kind of situations of emotional turmoil is I can handle this. I can handle this. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. If you ever try to do that, I mean you just yank you know, these are bootstraps. These are what you pull your boots on with. Go ahead, stand up right now and pull on them and see how high you get. <laughs> God helps those who help themselves. Come on, man, just buck up. Come on, you can handle this. I don't need help. You know. How how can I encourage you to take advantage of every resource that's available to you today to deal with this emotional turmoil that you're having? How can I encourage you? How can I encourage you to connect with resources? Ohio has a a, a mental health helpline. I mean, how can I encourage you to depend on the resources that are around you? How can I do that? I reconnected with my counselor on Thursday. I hadn't talked to her in a year and a half. She's a precious, skilled Christian counselor, and I reconnected with her. I said, I just got to get this thing sorted out again. How can I encourage you? How can I encourage you to take advantage of the resources that are around you? And if you don't have the resources to pursue them, to talk to somebody who you think might know about resources, not to do this on your own. I mean, if you had appendicitis, what would you do? Well, God helps those who help themselves. Would you gut it out? (laughs) Oh, I'm just not going to claim it. (sighs) There's no shame in having appendicitis, is there? How about diabetes? Is there shame in having diabetes? No then why is there shame and emotional turmoil in our lives? Whatever whatever it might look like. Let Let me share with you three now essential truths. First of all, that God has promised to help you in your time of need. That's his promise. God said, I'll help you. Call out to me, call to me, and I will answer you. Tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Call to me. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you what? Rest. He says, come on. Come on, I want to be that reality in your life. God has promised to help you. Second essential truth is that one of the keys to enduring the stress of these current times is to stay well connected to your fellow believers. Isolation is your biggest enemy. Isolation. Isolation. Now, we've we got to be creative, don't we? got to be creative. I don't like Zooming either. Come on, folks. I don't like wearing masks. I don't like Zooming. I don't even like washing my hands. <laughs> I don't like any of it. Friday night, Karen and I had just a wonderful, wonderful time with two friends who are so dear to us. And we talked for an hour and a half, and we hadn't talked in so long. And we prayed together. We laughed together. We, and it was all on Zoom. Us at our dining room table and they in their house. What a precious connection. What a treasure that was. Amen third abiding truth is, essential truth, is that one of the keys to enduring the stress of these current times is to focus on your place in God's heart. Let's just get right to that. Focus on your place in God's heart. You have a place in God's heart. You belong to him. You, you belong to him. Some of you might like to just say, out loud, I belong to him. Go ahead. You do. You belong to God. He bought you with his blood. You're his now. And I find this to be the key to moving through the stress and emotion of these present times is just to keep refocusing on the reality that I belong to God. It's the key to my survival. I'd like to just take a minute and minister to you with a song that we used to sing here. And I want to particularly ask uh, those of you who are dialing into what I'm saying to open up your hearts to, uh, to this song, the meaning of this song, and invite Holy Spirit to come and flow into your heart, into your troubled heart. This is not a performance. This is just a song that just declares that you belong to God. so your heart open